doing tonight got a couple announcements here at lake church going on around here uh we have uh no wednesday service next week because of thanksgiving so eat up on your mashed potatoes your greens your corns your beans tomatoes potatoes all that enjoy it and be blessed by it and you know have a blast you know we don't have church so Y'all don't have to hear us arguing with you guys on Wednesday night. So remember, we won't be here. So if you show up, we're going to be gone. So stay home. Uh, Also, we have Elsie will host and present one wintry night in Italy. How many remember the last one? Anybody go to the last one? With special guest singer Josiah Mullins, okay? So that's on December 2nd at 6 p.m. in the Student Ministry Building. We will be having a special fundraiser for Step of Faith Ministries uh, to purchase two and a half acres of land in the Philippines for a training center. Isn't that awesome? So give, give to that, bless that, because God's all a part of it, okay? Tickets are 22 for a single or 40 for a couple. Uh, tickets are available in the foyer, so go check that out if you're interested. Um, now we're going to get to the Lord. In our offering, oh shoot, no, one more. I got to present this. We got some new merch here at Lake Church. I forgot. This is on the fly. We got some new merch here at Lake Church. We got this in different colors and stuff, just simple Lake Church merch. But just to represent that uh, this is where I go to church and I love my church. I love my pastors. Go in and buy it. Represent. You know, so we got a whole lot of that out in the lobby, so go check it out, okay? All right, now we're going to bless the Lord with our giving. So, first of all, we got Vision 2025. We want to pay off all the debt on our buildings and the land that we've purchased over there first before we go and do this new building, which be, which will be a uh, school for uh, a TCA, and it's going to be a school for TBC, Training Bible College. So, you just get two-in-one package deal. You get, you know, raising up beautiful young minds, beautiful young children up in the Word of God, and you're also raising up you old stinking folks in the Word of God. <laughs> I'm playing. No, I'm playing. But 
Either way, it's a blessing, okay? So we have envelope. If you have an envelope, you give to these boxes that I painted. And um, you put into there and you sow your seed, okay? You bless it and you will be blessed. You will be blessed. You will be blessed, okay? So I'm going to pray over the offering. Also, if you have just normal offering, you'll have a bucket in the back. That's what Tom said, so argue with him, not me. So we're going to bless it. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for blessing me with everything that I have. And Lord, I give it back to you. And I bless you and your kingdom, and I allow you to do whatever you will, whatever you want to do with it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hello everyone, my name is Pastor Ramon Hernandez. For me it's a great honor to be with you and talk to you a little bit about our ministry. In the last 14 years we are working with the kids in the Dominican Republic in one of the more poor areas in our country. That area is San Juan de la Maguana. In San Juan de la Maguana, we teaching the gospel to the kid, not only to the kid, also we are concentrated in the family. We are providing medicine when we can, we are giving food, we have feeding program, and we have a sponsorship program. Here is some picture that I'll show with you, and you can see what is going on in the Dominican Republic. Like you see, you can help me to help them to be better. If this kid need a lot of help. Servant Heart Ministry after the pandemic lost a lot of sponsor. Right now, the sponsorship program is very, very low. We are running now with 20% of the sponsor that we usually, usually to have or normally to have in our in our program. Right now we have only 20% of the sponsorship program. Uh, the pastor that we have there with Nelson, Nelson Mendes and Mirito Geraldo, they are they are making an amazing job. One of the things I like that you guys know is we are supporting the family, uh, Nelson family, depend of our ministry. Mirito's family depend of our ministry. Every month we give them uh, some support for the family, for food, for every, for everything. So please help us to help them. God bless.
Well, I get to introduce my friend, but before I do, this Friday we have a special need. Uh, we have a family that needs to move out of their home, and at 10.30 Friday morning, they are going to have a moving truck out here in the parking lot, and then anyone that can help, uh, please meet here at 10.30, gentlemen. Everything, is, I was told, that everything is packed. It just needs to put, be put in the truck and then taken to where it's going to be stored. So if you are available Friday morning at 10.30 a.m., be here a little before that, they're going to have a truck out here, and then that way we can uh, help this family in need. They have to be out of the home by Sunday. So it's uh, imperative we get some help. So please, if you can, come and help, all right? Ladies, if you want to come help carry boxes and things, that's fine too. So with that being said, I have been working with Pastor Ramon for 10 years. And uh, he he's my Dominicano. Uh, he's he's like a, a brother from another mother for sure, but I'll tell you one thing: um, we we as Lake Church invest in ministers and ministries around the world, and this is one of the one people that we have seen fruit and harvest and fruit and harvest, and so you know it's important that you get to know him. He's going to share a little bit about his ministry, but tonight on the video he was talking about the kids and Pastor Nelson and Pastor Milo. Now, what you have to understand is they're not just doing feeding programs for the kids. He is a pastor over pastors. And when we support him, he helps support them. And so it's he's got an apostolic uh, ministry, and so he is awesome. And Ramon, if you would come, please. This is Pastor Ramon Hernandez, mi amigo. Thank you, guys. Good evening. Uh, for me, it's a great honor to be with you guys. Uh, the first thing I want to say is I feel in this church like home. You guys, you guys make me feel very good. It's the last night here. I'm leaving tomorrow very early, so for me, it's great, great to be with you here. You know, I told Pastor Bob and Pastor Lily in the morning, you, for me, is like a family, so I pray for you guys, And but I, I need to talk to you about what we do in the Dominican Republic. Um, I have a lot of people behind me. I got like four or six pastors behind me and I have to take care of them but we have a great team also beside the servants heart ministry that we feed in 190 kids in the Dominican Republic and they are all they always have something they need and we have to be watching what we can do for them uh, one of the big things that I like to do with them is Teaching them, like I do for the last 14 years, teaching the gospel. Because you know, you know how bad is this generation. I don't want to be mean, but 
this generation is dangerous. Very dangerous. The devil is confused the people. They pretend to be a man, pretend to be a girl, a girl pretend to be a man. It's crazy. I don't know if I can say that here, but I feel like, uh, you know, in Dominican, I'm free to say this wrong. It's wrong. It's, so, but let me tell you something. The devil is doing his job. But our God, he already made his job too. Satan, Satan forget that the Lord have victory. And you know what, what is the best? He give the victory to you. You have the same power. And we need to do to understand that. Um, yeah, we got um, a lot of pastors. We are teaching the leadership in the Dominican Republic. I'm so glad my people here like Pastor Greg and Pastor Karen, Rebecca, Lila, everybody here, they go there and teach us uh, how can we teach the others. Uh, actually, I just finished the Pastor Greg teaching that I have in the USB and already done this program. But now he gave me like, I don't know how many teaching, but he gave me like seven USB with a lot of teaching in it. So I have material for whole years. So my job in Dominican is go church by church and teach there. And I take, and I take time to do that. My team is always with me. Now we got a van. Thank you guys for buy a van for us. And now we can move much better in our ministry. I'm so happy to know you guys. I don't know if I can say that, Pastor Karen, but uh, I think we are preparing for the next year. That's true. I think we are praying for the next mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And believe me, I will take care of you. Like you do doing for me here. All right? So if you have some questions, uh, what we are doing in the Dominican, please be free to ask. I will be outside and around here for answering all you want to know, okay? Love you. So guess what book we're in? Do you know what book? Yeah, we're in Galatians. Pastor Kevin, come on up. All right. Well, good evening, Lake Church. Good to see everybody tonight. Let's just go ahead and get right into the word. We're going to turn to Galatians chapter 2, where we left off last week. And just kind of in review, just want to remind you that last week we talked about the two incidents uh, that illustrate um, Paul's dual theme in the book of Galatians, which is that he is teaching or actually correcting uh, false doctrine that had crept into the church that, um, that said that people were justified by works of the law, not simply faith alone. The truth is that we're justified by faith alone without any works of law. And also, number two, was that uh, we are spiritual, so even after you're saved, Living a spiritual life unto God does not involve any works of the law either. Still yet, it's by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that we are saved and that we live a spiritual life unto God. So, 
We're going to look at that. I mean, we, we looked at that last week and the two incidents where one was in Jerusalem to where Paul had brought Titus, who was an uncircumcised Gentile, to meet Peter, James, and John to see if they would accept him without forcing him to also be circumcised, which was the right of entry into the Old Covenant. It was a seal of the righteousness uh, that a person had before God, but it, was, it didn't save them. And so he brought Titus along with him, to, to, and he was communicating the gospel that he preached among the Gentiles. And they accepted the gospel, and they accepted Titus, and they didn't force him to be circumcised or keep any parts of the law. And then the second incident was when Peter came to Antioch, to the Gentile church, and Peter was eating and worshiping with the Gentiles, but then certain men from Jerusalem came down, and Peter began to compromise by separating himself from the Gentiles and no longer eating with them. So Paul called him out to his face in front of everybody because he was not living accurately out the gospel. Now let me say this about Peter, because I kind of ended in the middle of it last week. Peter hadn't changed his belief. He still believed that he was justified without works. But because of fear and a desire for the approval of men, he compromised his actions. His beliefs hadn't changed, but he was compromising his actions, and he wasn't living out the gospel so that the Gentiles could clearly see that even Peter as a Jew wasn't living like a Jew, but he was actually living like a Gentile. Why was that so important? Because by his actions, he was actually saying to the Gentiles, you need to conform to the way that Jews live if you want to truly be spiritual and be right in the eyes of God, which would have set them, which set them on a wrong course in their relationship to God, to where they would begin to compare themselves and compete among themselves and be critical among themselves because they were trying to perform and relate to God on the basis of their works rather than on the basis of the works of Jesus Christ, which are the finished and perfect works that provide us with salvation. So those two incidents illustrated the two themes that Paul is talking about in the book of Galatians. And we need to be free. It was for freedom that Christ has made us free. (laughs) So that we can begin to live by the right motivations as a response in love to what God has done for us. Not trying to earn something from God or, or trying to earn His favor, but out of a revelation of all that He has done for us. See, God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us before, and our love for God is simply a response to his love for us. In fact, I'll say that your love for God is really proportionally, uh, directly proportionate to your revelation of the love of God towards you. So if you're struggling in your response of loving God, and the way that we love God is the way that we live, then you don't understand how much God loves you. Hmm. So, that's why it's so important to get this straight. We have to understand that God loved us 
and that when he sent Jesus to die for us while we were yet sinners, Jesus fulfilled every legal demand that was against us because of sin. He met every... The, the Old Testament says the soul that sinneth, he must die. So there was a, there was a, um, a debt to be paid. And for us to die, it would only be justice. There would be no redemptive value in it. If I died for my sin, I would just be getting what I deserve. But see, Jesus died as a substitute sacrifice for all men. And so he was able to provide redemption to us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And when we put our faith in that, not in ourselves, which is what works of the law is, it's putting faith in our ability to produce the righteousness of God. When we put all of our faith in what Christ did, God declares us righteous. He justifies us, which means he he makes a legal declaration over your life that you are not guilty. (laughs) And you are made righteous through the new birth. See, the new birth is that you are made righteous. See, righteous isn't a position, it's a condition. To be righteous means man as he ought to be. It means we're in the state of being that God created us to be in. And that's a free gift. That when you're born again and you become a new creation, and old things passed away and all things become new, you are as you ought to be. And the more you believe that, the more you'll begin to manifest that in your life. Problem is, is that when we're religious in the way that we think, we're trying to become righteous. And we don't believe that we already are righteous. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you believe you're depraved, you'll act depraved. But I'm telling you, if you'll believe that you're righteous, you'll begin to act righteous. Hmm. You'll no longer stand for the devil's temptation. He'll bring something to you and you'll say, that's not who I am. That doesn't even appeal to me because that's not who I am. See, if you think, oh, well, that, yeah, that is, that is who I am, then you'll just succumb to it. But when you say, that's not who I am, why? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a son of God. And you will reject that temptation because it doesn't, you don't identify with it in any way, okay? So it's repulsive to your true nature to engage in sinful activities because you're, you know you're the righteousness of God. But listen, legalistic thinking, religious thinking causes us to get into a system of performance to where we're trying to become something and attain to something that we already have in Christ. So legalism is really just trying to either attain to righteousness or even to maintain right standing with God through your performance. Trying to maintain. I'll say this, if you, if you have to maintain your right standing with God, then you didn't receive justification, you received probation. I'm going to say that. <laughs> See, I know about this stuff. (laughs) I've been on probation before. I know about it. See, what probation is, is that you're guilty of a crime. 
And what the courts say is, we'll suspend just judgment to a later date. And if you can perform all this stuff, at the end, we'll release you and you'll be declared not guilty. That's what probation is. That's what most people's idea of Christianity is. That God says, okay, we're just going to suspend the judgment till later. And if you can do all of this stuff and you can keep all these rules and you can do all these do's and not do all these don'ts, then at the end... You'll be declared not guilty. That is absolutely false. That is legalistic, religious Christianity that's as much a religion as Hinduism or Buddhism or any other ism in the world. It's a system of works based on man earning and producing his own salvation and right standing with God. And it stinks in God's nostrils because it's rooted in the pride of man. Hmm. And it discounts the um, greatness of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. See, the sacrifice of Jesus shows us the severity of God towards sin. The reason Jesus had to suffer and die the way that he did on the cross is because sin was so severe that we could never, by our own actions, put ourselves back in right standing with God. We should look at the cross and go, man, it should work effectually in our heart to produce a gratefulness and a thankfulness for the fact that God was so concerned about our condition that He actually became what we were so that we could become what He is. The Son of God became a Son of Man so sons of men could become sons of God. Hallelujah. And by one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, many were made sinners. But through one man's act of obedience, which is Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. It's so simple. The Gospel's so simple. But we've had a lot of help complicating the matter. See, the gospel isn't supposed to be this intellectual uh, knowledge that you have to be, you know, be on this certain level to receive it. It's supposed to be so simple that children can receive it. We complicate it. And God doesn't like it. We talked about in chapter 1 of Galatians, the apostle Paul said, if any man preaches any other gospel, or even an angel from heaven, comes to you and preaches any other gospel other than the one that you received, let him be accursed. And that word accursed means let him be cursed by God and condemned. That's how serious God is about the integrity of his message. He calls the gospel the word of truth. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, it says the word of truth, the gospel It's the good news that is the power of God unto salvation. we got to protect it. And so what Paul was doing in confronting Peter uh, about this message is that he was contending for the integrity of the gospel message for the generations to come. And I, for one, man, I am so thankful that Paul did not give in to what they were trying to do He says, we read it last week, we didn't give in for one hour to these people. 
who came in secretly to try and spy out this, the freedom that we have in Christ to try and bring us back into bondage. See, that's what legalism is. It's a bondage. You know what it actually is? is it's, it's you being responsible for your own salvation. And the burden that, of salvation Jesus bore upon his shoulders at Calvary. But when we don't, when we try to operate in legalism, we're basically just pushing Jesus out of the way and saying, that's not good enough. But I can do what you couldn't do. Hmm. Serious business. So anyway, I want to start reading in chapter 2. In verse 14, we're going to pick right back up in the conversation. Um, Paul is speaking, he says, But when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Amazing! Peter had forsaken his religious observances so that he could be justified by faith in Jesus Christ without works. But because he felt pressure to try and uh, acquiesce to these religious people, he compromised his belief and acted outside of what he truly believed and outside of what the gospel reveals. And began to, by his actions, compel. See, he wasn't with his words compelling them. To live like Jews, but with his actions he was. See, you can say the right thing and be doing something contrary that brings confusion to people. And that's what was going on with Peter. Is he was compelling the Gentiles to become as the Jews were by his actions. So in verse 15... He says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now, this is the way that Pharisees spoke. They, they always, when they said Gentiles, they always added the word sinners to it. The Gentile sinners. Man, how many, you ever heard anybody speak like that? <laughs> it's a religious tone that people get when they say those sinners. <laughs> you know, it's it's like uh, you got to get up real real high when they say it too. Sinners. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they do? Try to make themselves feel better about them. So he says, "We who are Jews by nature, just talking about they were born Israelites, born Jews, not sinners of the Gentiles." Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, he's talking about the Jewish believers. He says, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ. See, Peter abandoned his Jewish law-keeping. He, uh, he, he got a revelation on the rooftop in Joppa, when God gave him a vision, that God is no respecter of persons, that he's impartial, that anyone who does what he prescribes, which is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, is justified in his sight by grace through faith. Peter understood that, and he abandoned his observance of the law and ate with Gentiles. 
And he loved it. When he was in Antioch, I'm sure he was eating bacon. The candy of meats. And he was having all this good time. Probably eating lobster and shrimp and just tasting things he'd never tasted before. In fact, in the vision on the housetop in Joppa, he said, Lord, no. When he showed him all those different animals, he said, nothing unclean. You know, he'd never tasted bacon before. Man. (laughs) So he is experiencing liberty in his life, you know. (laughs) He was experiencing some freedom. But when these other guys came along, he began to act contrary. And see, that's one of the biggest um, reasons why people are compromised. It's because of the fear of man or the desire for the praise of men. It causes people to act contrary to even their own convictions. He says, we know that um, no one is justified by works of the law. He said, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, you should underline this in your Bible, no flesh shall be justified. You know what that tells me? Not one person from the beginning of, of the recreation of the world to the end is ever going to be justified in the sight of God by their own performance. Not one person. And Peter, you know, in Acts 15, which we looked at last week. I'm not sure if I have that here. Let me look. Yeah. This is what he said when they were in that council in Jerusalem. He said, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Talking about the Gentiles. You know what the Jews thought? They thought that Gentiles were going to have to be saved in the same manner as the Jews. Oh, you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law and believe on Jesus. Then you can be saved. But Peter got the revelation. He said, I realize that we, man, we don't have a leg up on the Gentiles. We have to be saved the same way as they do. By grace, through faith in Jesus without any works. Amen. So let me go back here. Verse 17, he says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. You know, there's a lot of different interpretations of this verse. But I believe simply, the biggest, um, the biggest argument against the grace gospel which is the only gospel there is. I talked about that the first week. Without grace, there is no gospel. Grace is the hallmark of the gospel. Grace is what Jesus did for us, independent of us. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Okay? And um, the biggest argument against grace is that you're giving people a license to sin. And what do you think they're saying right here? If while we seek... See, he's, he's dealing with what people are saying about his gospel, Paul's gospel. In fact, in Romans, he says, this, he says that people are slanderously saying, let us do evil that good may come. 
See, that's always the argument against the true gospel. You're giving people a license to sin. Well, I'll tell you, people are sinning without a license. In fact, they're not asking your permission to sin. (laughs) But grace is the power of God to not sin. And when we withhold grace or we try to balance grace with law, we actually do people a disservice and we put them in bondage to their flesh because grace is the only power that can deliver people out of sin and out of bondage to their flesh. And the church, out of not having a great enough understanding of the grace of God, has tried to balance grace with law. And law and grace don't balance each other. They oppose one another. In fact, Paul teaches in the book of Romans that if you apply law to trying to live a spiritual life before God, it gives power to sin in your life. And sin will have dominion over you if you are under law. He says, but if you are under grace and not under law, sin shall not have dominion over you. People need to understand the grace of God so they're freed from this performance mentality where they're trying to earn their way with God and they're able to put their faith fully in what Jesus did, what Jesus accomplished, what Jesus provided through His death, burial, and resurrection. And when they understand the grace of God, it'll work in their heart to produce both the desire and the ability to live for God. But we don't trust the Holy Spirit to work through grace. We want to be a Holy Spirit for people. Oh, man. And we are not a good Holy Spirit. I have enough trouble trying to handle my own life and be trying to handle other people's lives. But that's what legalism does, is it puts your focus on other people. Because when you're in a system of works, you know you don't measure up. And it causes three divisive attitudes in people. Legalism causes three divisive attitudes in people's minds, which is why the devil wants legalism in the church. First of all, it causes comparison. Because you know you don't measure up, so you start looking for other people you can compare yourself to that you're better than. But let me tell you, your neighbor's not your standard. Your neighbor's not the standard. You were made in the image and the likeness of God and you're to compare yourself to Jesus in whose image and likeness you were created and called to be conformed to. But it causes comparison. You start looking around for somebody you're better than to make yourself feel better about yourself. And then it causes competition. And it's in this order. Comparison first, then competition. So then you start getting full of yourself. When you start finding people that you assume that you're better than, you start competing with people. Hmm. And there's a lot of that in ministry. People competing with one another. Trying to perform for people, thinking that it's going to give them some kind of, you know, entryway into some position or something. And then the third thing that it causes, which is the result of competition, is criticism. It produces a critical spirit when you start competing with other people. That's why we got to get rid of this stuff. We got to purge legalism from our lives. See, if you think you're at the starting line trying to win the race, and I'm talking about we run a race of faith, but you know who your race is against? You. (laughs) But if you think you're on the starting block with your brother, And you're running a race against him. 
then you're going to be competing with him. You have to realize that in Christ, you start at the finish line. We're already. (laughs) Well, listen, if the ultimate place to end up is in the direct presence of God, and the Bible says that God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together with him and made us sit together with him in heavenly places, we're already there. See, what grace and faith do is they make you realize that I have nothing to prove and no one to impress. I tell you what, we've had a lot of division in the church because of it. You know, and the highest goal of the church should be unity. Mm. It's unity that causes the anointing of God and the presence of God to be manifested. Uh, Whenever we all together are unified, it's a corporate expression of Jesus Christ. And it's a witness to the world. Because it's hard enough to get two people to agree, much less a whole body of people (laughs) agreeing, getting along, and functioning together as one. That's a supernatural witness. That's why unity is so important. But, I don't know how I got to that, but that was all extra. (laughs) Oh yeah, I remember. (laughs) The biggest argument against grace is that you're giving people a license to sin. That's what he says here. He says, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. In, In other words, in The King James, I believe, he says, God forbid, which is one of his famous phrases. He says, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Think about this. There's more transgression in trying to make yourself righteous than there is in people's faults and sins in their everyday life. It's more egregious for a believer to try and make themselves justified or righteous than the sin that they're involved in in their everyday life. Self-righteousness is the worst kind of sin. And if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. You know, here's the thing. If a person leaves their, their faith in Christ to go to the law to try and make themselves right, you know what they've done? They're living like an unjustified person trying to work for their salvation. Think about that. They are saying, my faith in Christ isn't enough. So I'm going to go back to the law and I'm going to use it so that I can accomplish what Jesus wasn't able to. And we were married to Christ, not the law. Let me say this. We were married to Christ, not Moses. A lot of people live more like they're married to Moses than married to Christ. Oh, man. That is idolatry. To go back to trying to earn your salvation through keeping of the law and trying to relate to God through Moses rather than through Jesus. 
which is exactly what it is. And if I build again those things, those beliefs, which I destroyed, Paul's talking here. He destroyed that. You know, he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he tore that down. In fact, in Philippians, let's go over there real quick. Let me read you this. What did he said about his former life? In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For to me, to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. So obviously, what he's about to say He had said over and over and over again as a warning to them. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So you know what Paul's saying? He's saying, if you think you are good in the flesh, let's just go ahead and <laughs> let's just go ahead and compare. Mm. He said, if you think you are in the flesh, you have confidence in your ability, your performance. He said, let's just go ahead and compare. And this is what he says. He says, he was circumcised the eighth day, according to the law, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, meaning he still spoke with the native Hebrew tongue. He says, a Pharisee, which was the strictest observers of the law of Moses. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Think about this. He was so zealous for the things of God that he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, he rounded up men, women, and children to have them imprisoned and murdered, and he was doing it out of zeal for God. Do you know Romans chapter 10 says in the, in the Passion Translation, that you can be deeply devoted to God but unenlightened? Mm. You can be zealous for the things of God and be totally wrong in the way that you're doing it. Man, Paul was wrong. He was zealous for God, but he was wrong. He thought Jesus was a fraud. He thought he was an imposter. And he was killing his followers, your brothers and sisters. He said, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, get this, blameless. He said, concerning the observance of the law and being righteous according to my own performance, he said, I was blameless. Now, it's interesting he didn't say I was sinless. (laughs) Because in the law, God made provision for sin, which was sacrifice. But he said, I was blameless because he was meticulous in the way that he followed the law of Moses. Was he perfect? No. But he said he was blameless in it. 
Think about that. Can any of us say we are blameless in the, in the following of the law of Moses? How about the Ten Commandments? Let's just say the ten, top ten. Because, <laughs> see, people don't understand the, the law of Moses was the Torah. There weren't just ten. There were 615 commands in the law of Moses. And so, if you understand, like in the book of James... It says that if you keep the whole law and fail in one point, you're guilty of all. So that means if you kept 614, (laughs) see, the law was never given as a means of salvation. It was given as a mirror to show you the true fallen nature that was on the inside of you so that you would realize that you could never save yourself. And you would see the value in what Jesus came to do. See, if you believe that salvation is your best plus Jesus, <laughs> you all got a, some looks on your faces. Because <laughs> so many people have that idea. Listen, I just need a little help. I'm really pretty good. And Jesus just makes up the difference. Hmm. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. You know what the gospel is? You're depraved and destined for and deserving of hell and separation from God. That's the condition of every man without Christ. Not I'm pretty good. (laughs) You know, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, you know, he said, What? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, how about the commandments? He said, I've kept them all since my youth. (laughs) Jesus, knowing his heart, knowing that he was a wealthy man, he said, go give all your stuff to the poor and follow me. He nailed him in his covetousness. Man. He may not have ever committed adultery. He may not have ever stolen or killed or any of these things, but he had coveted man. See, you fail in one point, you're guilty of all of it. But Paul said, according to the righteousness in the law, I was blameless. That's a pretty bold statement. Get this. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ you know his pedigree because he talked about he was born an Israelite Hebrew of the Hebrews tribe of Benjamin he reconciled that to the cross he realized that being born a member of the nation of Israel did not cause him to be automatically saved his piety according to the law it didn't gain him any ground as far as salvation went And he counted it all for loss for Christ. He knew he couldn't trade any of it in for salvation. Get this. He says, yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Listen, Paul had a lot to give up. He was a revered member of, of the highest level of religious observers in the nation of Israel. 
People knew his name. He was schooled by one of the greatest rabbis known at that time. So when he walked down the streets, people knew who he was. Man. And when he came to Christ, he became public enemy number one. But he traded it all so that he could have Christ. He says, For whom I suffer the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. See, that's it right there. That's the difference. There's only two kind of people in the world. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Mm. That's it. Now, he says, be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. So see, observing the law, performing Trying to be right with God, but is, is producing your own righteousness. Not the righteousness of God. Okay? But that which is through faith in Christ. Get this. The righteousness which is from God by faith. You're, here's the good news. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He becomes your righteousness. You are made the righteousness of God. And you may not understand it, but I'll tell you tonight that if you have done that, you are as righteous as Jesus is because Jesus is your righteousness. Now I'm telling you what, the Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. And we need some bold Christians to rise up in this day and this hour that we are living in. But that scripture that says the righteous are bold as a lion, it's those who know they are righteous who are bold as a lion. It's those who know their righteousness who can stand toe to toe with the enemy and come out victorious. It's those who know that they are righteous. Who are standing on firm foundation. Mm. You know, religious mindsets hear that and they think it's almost blasphemy. I know it took me years to come out of legalistic mindsets and thinking that when I would say stuff like that, man, my mind would just almost go tilt. I was just like, can I say that? Listen, it takes the Holy Ghost to cause you to speak that way. Mm, I'm telling you, it's not arrogant because I know my righteousness is not of me. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I know. See, the problem is we look at people and we look at ministers and different people like that and, and we think, man, we, we assume things about them. That's why I think the train family stuff's been so good because we've been showing you warts and all. But we assume things about people. We look at ministers, great ministers and people, you know, and we assume they are at some level. Mm. Man. And the only reason why is because I is you don't know me like I know me. <laughs> You don't know them like they know themselves. I live with me 24-7. I know my weaknesses. 
I know that my righteousness has nothing to do with my own personal performance. You got to get there. And I'm telling you, when you do, you'll be empowered by the grace of God to live an overcoming and victorious life. Paul said, that I may be found in him. He's talking about at the judgment. Not having my own righteousness. Listen, if you have your own righteousness, it's not going to be enough. Which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. So I'm going to go back to Galatians 2. And where I left off. Verse 12. Verse 19, for I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live unto God. I'm going to share this verse with you out of Romans chapter 7. It says, we now, but now we have been delivered from the law. By who? By Christ. Did you know he delivered us from the law? In fact, in verse 4 of Romans 7, it says, we are dead to the law. Most people don't understand (laughs) that terminology. But the law was never given to give us victory. The law was given to defeat us. You say, why would God give us something that would defeat us? In fact, God gave the law so that sin would have dominion over us. That was the purpose of it. So why would God give us something like that? Well, because sin already defeated us, but people didn't know it. They thought they were good. The law was given to reveal our true condition. You try keeping it, it'll kill you. Oh, man. You try keeping it in order to be right with God, it'll kill you. You know, when, when, when Moses went up on the mountain and received the law, God told him, he said, you better get down there. They're already, (laughs) they're already rebelling. They had all kinds of stuff going on down there. And you know, before Moses came off the mountain, you know what he did? He broke the tablets. You know why? Because if he would have stepped down to the bottom of that with those, with the law of God, they would all been killed. Do you know the glory of God kills? Man. The glory of God kills. Mm. He had to break the law before he could bring it down. They'd already broken it. Because if he'd have brought it down in the midst of that, they'd all been killed. Do you know what that shows you? God knew the law was going to be broken before they ever received it. But you know, it was them. God gave them three opportunities He presented the law to them three times. You know what they said? Everything God has said, we'll do it. (laughs) People think, oh, well, they were just submitting to God. No, they weren't. They were filled with pride. They should have said, if that's what you demand, then who could be saved? That's what they should have said. So God was given the law to wake people up. Out of their delusion of self-righteousness. Are we all right? Does that make sense? 
He was given to wake them up out of their self-righteousness so that they would be in the right uh, mental understanding to run to Christ. But they were so deceived by self-righteousness that when the Son of God stood before them, they said, crucify him. Mm. Man, think about it. So the law was never given to give us dominion over sin. And it will still give dominion over, sin dominion over you if you try to use it as a way of earning from God. Which is why when people are trying to receive from God and they're in self-righteousness and they're not seeing the manifestation of the life of God and they say things like, well, I don't know why God hadn't healed me yet. I read my Bible all the time. I pray all the time. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I, they start naming off all this stuff. They don't say, they're not saying anything about what Jesus did. Why? Because they're so focused on what they're doing for God rather than what he did for them. And we are saved, guys, by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, since it's 8 o'clock, I better finish this chapter. <laughs> he says, I died to the law through the law. So what the law did is it killed his confidence to be able to be right with God through his own works. When Paul understood the true purpose of the law, it killed his confidence in him being able to be right with God by his own performance. You understand that? You see that? Yeah. Through the law, I died to the law. He had to die to the law, so he put his faith in Christ. And you say, well, when did he die to the law? Galatians 2.20, the next verse, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. When did he die to the law? When he was crucified with Christ. See, Jesus didn't die for anything he did. He died for your sin and for my sin and for the sin of the whole world. And so it wasn't just him dying for us. It was him dying as us. And the final part of the revelation is that we died with him. When I realized my need for Jesus and I believed in the gospel and quit trying to earn my way uh, to be right with God, I put my faith in Him. I was united to Him in His death. Oh, man. And the old man died. Who I was was crucified with Christ and raised up again to newness of life. See, people who believe in legalism, they just think they need her re rehabilitated. You can't rehabilitate the old man of sin. All you can do is put him to death and then resurrect him with the life of Christ, with the righteousness of Christ, with the Spirit of God as a new creation in Him, united to Him as one Spirit with Christ. A brand new creation. A brand new creature. You can't rehabilitate the old. Oh, man. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Man, I think about that. When I look back on who I was before I received Jesus, now it's been 20 years. 
And I think about, back about that, it's just so weird. <laughs> I know what I did, but it's so weird because it's so foreign to my life now. You know, why? Because when you truly put your faith in Jesus, the old man is put to death. Man, praise God. <laughs> praise God. He needed to die. He needed to die. I'm thankful he died. I needed liberated from him. <laughs> I was my biggest enemy. But it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Christianity is not me living for God. Man, I can't say that enough. Christianity is not meant to be you just doing your best to live for God. It is Him living through you. God's idea was never that you are just living for God. It's Him living through you. That's why He cleansed you as a temple for the Holy Ghost so He could come and dwell on the inside of you and live in you forever and inspire and empower you and to live through you. See, the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. Those who are moved by the impulses and the nature and the character of God that's in you through the Holy Spirit. Those are seen as the mature sons of God. Why? Because they have His nature and character and power and manifestation in their life. Man. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And actually, in this translation, it says, I live by faith in the Son of God. But it's actually, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Which is a huge difference. That means my faith is in His work. See, that makes it sound like self-effort. I live by faith in the Son of God. It's I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I want you to notice that last line, who loved me and gave Himself for me. That is past tense. See, it's the past tense love of God. Mm. Man, the cross is the past tense love of God. That's where the power is. It's He loved me before I was lovable. Oh man, I tell you what, I could just take off running around. It's He loved me when I didn't even love myself. He loved me when I gave Him no reason to love me. He loved me, Romans 5 says, when I was helpless, ungodly, a sinner, and an enemy of God. It was in that condition that He loved me and He gave Himself for me so that I could be forgiven and I could be raised up and I could be made the righteousness of God in Him so that I could be cleansed and and filled with His Spirit so I could be empowered mm, to be who He always intended for me to be. Ah, oh, Glory. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, that You did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Oh, may we understand the greatness of Your sacrifice. Oh, that He came... 
and took on a body for the sole purpose of offering himself as a sacrifice. Oh, I love Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus talking to the Father. He says, a body you prepared for me. Oh. Mm. He said, sacrifice and offering you have not desired. Oh man, think about it. Sacrifices and offerings of the Old Testament, God didn't desire that. Those were necessary. Those were a necessary step to what God truly desired. He said, sacrifice and offering you have not desired but a body. Oh, but a body you have prepared for me. He said, I have come to do your will, O God. What was it? To come and offer himself. To offer his body. For his body to be broken. His blood to be shed. So that he could be a perfect sacrifice that can reconcile even the most ungodly of sinners back to him. Oh my goodness. To freely make you justified in the sight of God. And righteous as a new creation. As you ought to be. Oh my goodness, look at the last verse of this chapter. Paul said, I do not set aside the grace of God. What's he talking about? That if I go to trying to make myself right with God by my own performance, I'm setting aside God's grace for self-effort. And if I preach legalism to people, you know what I'm getting them to do? To set aside the grace of God for their own self-effort to try and make themselves acceptable to God. He said, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. That means if there was one law that we could keep... In fact, in Romans, Paul says this. He said, if there was a law that could impart life to us, then righteousness would have been by the law. But that's one of, remember that first, I think it was the first night or second night, I told you the seven things the law could never do. One of them was the law could never impart life to us. The the law can never impart the life of God to anyone. Let me ask you this. Did the law ever give itself for you? The law can't impart life. And Christianity is not a religion. We're so messed up. We think Christianity is a religion. It's not a religion. It's a life. What did Jesus say? That whoever believes in me receives eternal life. And he's talking about not a quantity of life. Because most people with religious thinking, they think, oh yeah, you're talking about in heaven. I'm going to live forever. No, it's not a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. It's the very life of God imparted to you by the Holy Spirit who comes to live on the inside of a believer when it becomes a new creation. Christianity is not a religion. It's a life. And you either have the life or you don't have the life. But he who has the Son has the life. 
I'm telling you, do you have the sun tonight? Because if you do, you have the life of God. And if you have the life of God, you have everything you need to overcome whatever's oppressing you. Whatever sickness, whatever disease, whatever addiction, whatever disorder is oppressing you in life. If you have the sun, you have the life. You have the life of God, and the life of God is what makes everything right. Oh, hallelujah. Man, you need to stand up in the, in the realization that I have the Son, I have the life. I may not be experiencing it, but I don't, faith isn't experience. Faith is believing what isn't manifest. Faith needs no evidence. The Word of God is the evidence of faith. If God's Word says it, I have it. I have the Son. How do I know? How do I know I have the Son? Because it says if you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that you believe that God raised Him from the dead and you confess Jesus as Lord, you shall be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that word saved doesn't mean a ticket to heaven. It means to be healed, delivered, set free, made whole, whatever's oppressing you. And I tell you, 20 years ago, in the dungeon of the Creek County Jail, I heard the gospel and I said, Jesus is Lord. I said, Jesus is Lord. And that's when I had received the Son. And he who has the Son has the life. And I'll tell you what, drug addiction was no match. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Drug addiction was no match for the life of God. What I suffered under, under the weakness of my own flesh, trying to wrestle for years, the love of God overcame it in a moment. Why? Because drug addiction is no match for Jesus. It's no match for the life of God. My wife was suffering from three of what they say are incurable diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's disease. She took handfuls of chemotherapy, oral chemotherapy. And you know what? None of those diseases were any match for the life of God. That was 20 years ago. She's still healed today. She takes no medicine. Hadn't for 20 years. Why? Because sickness and disease is no match for the life of God. And Jesus in His grace has already provided you forgiveness of sins and the life of God. And let it be known to you that he who believes in Him is forgiven of sin and freed from everything. From which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Why? Your law keeping. Your performance can never provide you with life. No disorder. I don't care what your disorder is. It is no match for the life of God. People just haven't believed. Well, they've, let me say, like, they've had faith. As they've hoped. I mean, they've had hope. I've seen it in the Word. I hope it could happen to me. 
But honestly, the reason that people don't go on into faith is because they're still measuring their own qualification to receive it. They're trying to qualify. Let me just help you out tonight. You're disqualified. All of you. (laughs) That's offensive to people who are trusting in their own works. You are all disqualified. You online, you're disqualified. (laughs) That's good. You need to get there. You're disqualified. But I got good news for you. Jesus qualifies you. Jesus qualifies you. His sacrifice qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. And if you'll get your faith on the right thing, you can receive everything that belongs to God. Why? Jesus said everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me. And the Holy Spirit came to bear witness that what belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Hallelujah. Man, if you got something wrong with you, I'd stand up right now and just lay your hands on yourself. And we're going to pray for you. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we come against this infirmity and we command it to flee from the temple of the Holy Ghost right now. In the name of Jesus, we release the divine life of God into her body and we command according to the Word of God, which is forever settled in heaven, that by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Body, come into line. Body, submit to the Word of God right now. And I command that infirmity to leave. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hmm. Listen, I know I got clothes. He who has the Son has the life. But the other part of that verse is, He who does not have the Son does not have the life. But I hope you've understood from the preaching tonight that all you can do is receive the Son. That's all you have to do. He's already done everything needed. By simple faith, you can receive the Son of God. And when you do, you'll have the life. You'll have the life. So I just want to say as we're closing the service that as you sit in that chair tonight, if you don't know 100% you have the sun, tonight's your night. Today is the day of salvation. Why would you wait? (laughs) I don't understand. This is the greatest offer ever made in the history of history. It's free. It's a free gift. There's nothing you need to do to qualify. You you just come and receive. The only reason I say come is we'll help you. We'd love to pray with you and rejoice with you because Jesus already justified you. In fact... It was when we were declared justified that he was raised from the dead. It's not when you believe you're justified. 
When you believe, you're just receiving it. But Romans chapter 4 says, when we were justified, he was raised. That's why we believe on the resurrection. You know why? Because the resurrection is the proof. Mm. The resurrection's the proof that what Jesus came to do, the Father accepted and He accomplished. Man. So don't leave tonight because we're closing the service so people can go get their kids. But there's going to be ministers up here. And if you're struggling with something, because listen, you've heard it tonight. But faith without works is dead. That means when you hear it, if you don't act on it in some way, then it belongs to you, but you can go without. So I'm just going to, I'm exhorting you that if you feel that you need some, I know there's needs all over this place. Come and have somebody come into agreement with you Not for God to do something, but for you to receive what He's already done. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can we just give the Lord a shout of praise? He is so good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. We praise you, Father God. We praise you, Father God. We just want to give you glory. We thank you, Father God, for your great love for us. We thank you for the grace of Jesus that he provided salvation for us. And we thank you for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that he dwells in us and that we walk with him daily. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.